But we had a great week this week. Men's ministry on Tuesday night, what a blessing. Carl preached the word to us. We had the best hamburger I ever had. So if you missed it, too bad for you. Great time of fellowship with the guys. And then yesterday, the women's fellowship, I heard from many the best they'd ever experienced. Why? Because it was testimonies about the power of God, about what God does in our lives. Now, we have a couple of weeks left before our Bible conference, so I'd like to start 2 Corinthians after the Bible conference. So we have a couple of weeks here. I want to talk to you this morning about the joy of ministry. Next week, I'm going to talk, and then Carl's going to come, and he's going to begin to share with you what we'd like to do with Sunday school ministry. Often, in a church gets to be big, so, well, we didn't get the, co- the communication. Well, we want to give it to you. We want to just, we're going to try this program during this service downstairs for a month. We could get a month for free. And Carl's going to explain next week why we think it's such a good, good opportunity, good challenge for us. And uh, we won't go into that, but that's the next couple of weeks. And then we have the Bible conference. Make sure you make time for that. I know you're busy. Many of you are students. Make it a priority. God will bless you. The joy of ministry. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you love us. Lord, I pray that I might be spirit-filled now. That the message would be from you for our flock. Lord, that we would be moldable in your hands. Available to be challenged from your word. And Lord, I pray that we would continue to see a harvest. We don't want to get to a point where we're self-sufficient. We never want to be there, Lord. We always want to see you work. We want this church, as long as you leave it here, to be a fruitful church. So challenge our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. The joy of ministry. Carl has been challenging us last week and also in our men's ministry about the responsibilities we have as believers. Now, any elite fighting force we talk about in our nation, whether it's the Marines or um, the Rangers or the SEALs, those elite fighting forces do great things because they have very tough standards and they have very strict discipline they go through. The same is true in the Christian life. We need the grace of discipline in our life that we might be equipped, prepared for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3 says, Study to show yourself approved in a God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But discipline is not our motivation. I don't know about you are really motivated by discipline. I was motivated by, by dad's discipline not to do that, whatever I'd done and gotten caught with, again. But our motivation in the Christian life is not discipline. It's the joy. It's the joy of ministry. As I have been pastoring here a number of years, and we have just seen God work over the years, and and we give him all the glory. I am blown away when I hear testimonies. Yesterday was such a blessing because of the testimonies, and I heard from one of the ladies that, Peggy got up and she talked about how sometimes we can get testimony envy that we don't have the story of going from being a, a gang lord ruler to being a great preacher for Christ, you know, and, and uh, we don't have that kind of testimony. 
But the truth is, every single testimony, your story is the story of a God that reached down and did a miracle. He did a miracle. We're going to talk about that this morning. Over the years, people have said, as I've, I used to wait in the back, because that's what my dad did. So all the people would go by, nice sermon, good sermon, good sermon. And you see somebody new, and you want to talk to them, but they would skate around the back of the person that wanted to tell you the same thing they told you three weeks ago and for the next last two weeks, and, and so they get by. So I made a decision after that. You know, I'm just going to stay at the front. And I went out to visit John Piper's church one time, and he did the same thing. I went, yeah, got that right. Some pastors like John MacArthur are raptured between services. They're gone. You don't know what happened to them. And I understand that because there's a lot of people there. But John Piper waited at the front. People came and talked to him. And then they started the next service. Now, I know some of you will wait two or three years. And then you'll come up and say, well, Pastor, I've been coming here for a couple of years. And I just wanted to praise the Lord. I'm glad to know you. Don't be intimidated. We, we, we want people to come up. We want to get to know you. But people will say, man, that, that sermon really blessed my heart. And I've learned to say, thank you for that encouragement. But praise the Lord, it's his word. I'm just a servant bringing it to you. He's the one that's faithful. He's the one that uses it. And over the years, people have written, I think especially of our, our friends down in College Springs, Gary and Lisa Garls. And Lisa's so encouraging. That's just who she is. And, and she's like, Paul, I just want to thank you and Christy for being so faithful. You're, you've been such a blessing to us. And over the years, I've come to this passage, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, to be my standard answer. Because, folks, listen. I'm just a little kid watching the parade. I really am. Years ago, when we began to study Henry Blackaby's book, Experiencing God, where he really exposits John 5, 19 and 20 and challenges people that God is always at work. Get there and join him. That's what we've done as a church. Where is God working? It's not the vision the pastor, the elders can think up. It's not some big idea that you have to do or you have to go save people. I think sometimes when we challenge people about soul winning, it's like, oh, I have to do that. Like it's your duty somehow. And I want to lighten you of that burden today. I want to give you motivation from Scripture because when this church, Thessalonica, who Paul didn't even personally plant. Somebody else from another church he'd planted went out and, and planted this church. And yet they were the model congregation. And they read the 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And he goes into all kinds of detail. He says, I give thanks for you always, making mention of your prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith, labor of love, steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing, brethren, beloved, by God, his choice of you. God chose them. It's obvious because of the fruit in their life. He said, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, you became imitators of us. And they became a sounding board to everybody around them. He was so blessed by them because of what God was doing. So when he couldn't come in the second chapter, he says, I really want to come and see you guys, but I can't. But I want you to know, it's not that I don't want to be, be there. Because he says in verses 19 and 20, 
For who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? You are our glory and joy. You see, it's our purpose in life to be about God's glory. And you know what glorifies him? Fruit. Fruit that remains. In Isaiah chapter 61, one of my favorite passages of scripture, is the scripture that Jesus quoted when he went back to his hometown of Nazareth to tell them about his ministry. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of the spirit of fainting. So... They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Dwight L. Moody, the great evangelist, was walking down the streets of Chicago one day, and a, and a drunk bumped into him. He looked, he said, oh, Mr. Moody, well, I'm one of your disciples. He said, obviously, you're not one of the Lord's. See, we're not here to make disciples of ourselves. We're here to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And what blesses God, what bring, brings God glory is those oaks of righteousness that grow up and bear fruit and share and others people come to Christ. I've seen in the Christian life in America that it's so easy to go to a church Learn some doctrine, learn the rules, and then just be an observer. That's not what God has saved you for. He has saved you for the joy. So it has become my standard answer because it's biblical. When people write and say, Paul, we just want to thank you and Christy for just staying there and just preaching the gospel. We got saved there. We got a Christian family now. And I write back and say, no, it's about the Lord. And you got to know something, that you're the reason we stay in ministry. Because you are our joy. Now, there's two parts there. There's the future part, the eternal part. Paul said, it's just the thought of you one day standing before the Lord, so I don't have to be there by myself. There's no gospel song that says, nothing but leaves for the master. At the end of our life, we want our Lord who's given everything for you, knowing, you need to know this, that if you're the only person that responded to his death on the cross, he died that individually for you. He'd have died for you. He died for the sins of the world, but the Bible says in Isaiah that he looked down through history and it pleased the Father to crush the Son because those he would bring to himself. Jesus saw you. And as Jesus desired, John 15, that we go bring forth what? Much fruit. Much fruit. He saved you. He's gifted you for the purpose of your life that you might affect others around you. Not with your own personality. 2 Corinthians 4 says, we preach not ourselves. It's not about how good a football player you are, or 
how great a businessman you are or, or what you've done in this life. It's about Jesus Christ and about him shining through you. So it's less of you, like John the, John the Baptist said, more of Christ. Till we become a purer and purer reflection of Jesus Christ to those around us. But to honestly be able to say as Paul did, no, 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 you're my joy. I know you may be thankful for faithful servants that brought you the gospel. But you need to know, you're the joy of somebody that saw you come to Christ. That's the joy. But it's also not just the future joy, it is the joy here and now that keeps us going. Think about somebody that you've prayed for that came to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. There's nothing like that. There is nothing to compare to that. Because that's for eternity. It's forever. You see, it's just the pure joy of watching the God of creation create and grow new life. And every time I hear somebody like Charlie take time to tell us about creation. And those of some of you just love studying those things out, and, and I love it because then I just, my, my worship of God just gets greater and deeper. And for all eternity, we're going to worship God for his wisdom and for his beauty. But in creation, you can see it in the order that's there. Do you know that the leaves turn color not because they freeze, but because our earth does not do a perfect circle. It does an ellipse. And when it hits that ellipse, the leaves turn. The leaves turn. The grass stays green as long as it's getting warmth and water. But the leaves turn. They get so beautiful. I got a picture from one of my friends in the Army this week of New Hampshire. I have never seen like that before. The blues and greens and reds. I was blown away. What is that? That's our God. And one day in time past, God said, let there be light. And there was an explosion. He created light before he created light bearers. Later he said, well, I want to make some sun and stars to hold that light. And to rule the day and to rule the night and give a time clock and a calendar for people to live by. So they can count the days of their life and apply their heart to wisdom. And the Psalms, it says, he gives lightning to the rain. Why does he give lightning to the rain? Do you know that when lightning happens in a rainstorm, it charges the raindrops with nitrogen that lasts for 20 minutes? So it feeds the earth. Isn't that amazing? And those little bombardier beetles that God gave them for protection. A chemical on this side of their behind, another chemical over here, when they hit, it explodes and there's, there's fire The amazing God of creation. And I want to tell you something. I don't know about you. When I get to heaven, I'd like to sign up for the video. I want to see that movie. God, show me the movie about when you spoke light into existence. And you brought forth the green and all the beauty that's in creation. I want to see that video. And when I see it, it's one of those deals. I want to see it again. And you have your little ones at home and. And you do something fun with them and maybe you toss them up in the air. I know that's not probably healthy. I'm not advocating that. But 
they land and they go, oh, do it again. As a child, that's how I feel every time I see somebody come to Christ. Because it is seeing the ex nihilo, something from nothing happened right before eyes. Now, creation is not going on anymore as far as the natural world is concerned. God got done with that. And he's finished. He said, it is very good. There's no evolution going on. There's de-evolution going on. Things are running down. Look at your own body as you get older, right? But the creative process in, in our natural world is not going, but God, as he brings people to himself, reaches down personally and does a miracle. That's what it takes for somebody to get saved. You can't do that. I don't care how good a program you have, how good of an apologist you are, you cannot bring somebody from darkness to light. So, Paul, where do you get that? It's God's creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 6. Paul's writing to Corinth, and he says, For God who said, Light shall shine out of darkness, is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we have this treasure in earthen vessels. You have that ability. Paul said in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. Not, not you, not your ability to talk people or be an influence because of a great power that you've gained around you. God's power. So that in the end, only God gets the glory. But at the same time, you shouldn't be intimidated. Well, I'm not as good as this person or that person. No, no. If you know Jesus Christ... You've trusted the gospel. Your story is a story of a miracle. Just stare, share that. Just share that story. It's not about you. That's about God. I never get over thinking about the oaks of righteousness. One of the great times of discouragement in my life, I was out in the mountains, and I said, Lord, you got you to help me here. And so the psalm of the day was Psalm 3. And Psalm 3 says, they say there's no hope for him with God. God's not going to help him. But David said, no, you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. And it's like the Lord spoke to me. It wasn't the audible voice, but he just gave me those thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 12, it says, we get the spiritual thoughts and we have the spiritual word of God. And he said, so have those guys that are making your life miserable, have they told you you can't preach the gospel? And I said to myself, no. Second thought God gave me, well, are people still coming to Christ? I said, yeah. Third thought was, what are you whining about? God uses and used the thought of the people that are coming to Christ to get me back on track. That's the joy of our life. I grew up in a home where the, the greatest joy in our home, and it wasn't a perfect home, it was a wonderful home to grow up in, but the joy of our family was when we heard the testimony from our dad of somebody that had come to Christ. And you've heard the story before about Lynn, but I'll never get over it because it's been one of those high water marks in my life. We look at people and we think, well, they could never get saved. We have no idea what's going on in their heart. We look at the outside. We say, well, they're too cool. 
They got too much going in this life. Why would they receive Christ? Because we know the world's against Christ, so, but we don't know what God's doing. Or we look at somebody and say, well, they're too far gone. They're too far gone. We don't know. Just be faithful to give the seed of the word of God. And my dad said to my mom, this part of the story, well, I guess we got here too late for Lynn because, you know, he's a senior in high school and he's president of the student body. He's captain of the football team. He's an all-state wrestler. Well, he probably needs need the Lord. He's already got his track, you know, regular. He's going on to university, become a businessman, help his dad out in his big business. But at the first youth activity, Lynn heard the simple gospel. God opened his heart. And he got saved, and God changed the whole tra trajectory of his life. Billy Wiley, coming to our church, when he first started coming, I didn't know who he was, but all the young people his age knew who he was, and he was a bad dude, and they were scared of him. But an old guy in our congregation, thought it was his job to knock on doors, and old Burr Rob, he's with the Lord now, knock on doors, he'd try to get somebody to make a decision. So uh, Billy had answered the door. Billy was an eighth-grade dropout living with a 25-year-old woman, doing drugs and alcohol. and So Burr talked to him that day. Billy didn't get saved that day, but later he thought, ah, I feel bad, I should go to that old man's church. So he started coming to church, and Billy would sit in the back. He had long hair, and he would just sit back there. He wouldn't raise his head, just sit back there. I don't know who he was. Had long earrings, tattoos, and everybody else, you know, people loved him, but, you know, he would just kind of, you know, gave everybody the highs. I mean, that's good. I'm out of here. And he was out of here before anybody could talk to him most Sundays. But he kept coming. He heard the gospel. He got involved in the Bible study. And one day, he got saved. The successful and those that we think are past God. There's nobody past the grace of God. And now Billy is finished seminaries, writing books. He's teaching us. He's blessing our heart. I never get over that. Ben Sanchez, been a good friend of my, my sons, and they had an apartment together. They lived together. And, and then when they off went their separate ways, Ben's Christianity went with them because he wasn't a Christian, you know. But his mom was praying for him. And those that loved him, we were praying for him. And one day, God reached down, messed Ben's life up. And he thought, well, I guess I'll come back to church. Started coming to a Bible study. I remember one asking, so Ben, what's keeping you from trusting Christ? He said, I don't know. I said, well, come on, man. And we bowed, and Ben accepted Christ as his Savior. And Ben's a guy that he doesn't really even talk much in Bible study. One-on-one, -on -one, I got to encourage. I got to ask questions to get something out of Ben. But God gifted him to memorize the scripture. Now he blesses all of us with passages and with books of scripture. That's joy. That is joy. To see God bring a creation. His will from eternity past, he chose these people. He says, he says come here, son or daughter. Let me show you something. Just share the gospel with this person and watch what happens. Now, on the outside, we look at a person and we think, well, that person could probably be this or that for God, but we have no idea how God has gifted him. I never imagined that Billy would be writing books. I never imagined that Ben would be up here in front of all of us. 
with whole books of the Bible that God has put in his heart. And we listen to him. And it's like the Apostle Paul is writing the letter to us. Well, who's that for? That's for all of us. Some of you might be saying, you know, but, but, but I'm not mature enough. I need to grow some more. I need to have more information, and I'm just not holy enough yet. And I still have some sin here and there. I'm still stumbling. Listen, if you wait to get perfect in this life, you'll show up in heaven fruitless. Here's the deal. God uses your opportunities to witness as a tool of his sanctification. Do you know that? What happens? In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul is telling them about the Old Testament Jew that was living in the wilderness with, with Moses. And remember, God gave the law personally. He spoke the law to the nation. And the nation called no, Mo, Moses back and said, hey, tell God not to talk to us anymore. That's too scary. You go talk to him. You tell us what he said. So Moses said, okay. So he went up on the mountain. When he came down from the mountain, he'd been with God and his face shone. You see, your skin was created to reflect the glory of God. But Adam chose sin, and that's why I think the next day they saw they were naked, because the glory had departed. But that scared them too. So whenever God, Moses would go into the tent of meeting with God, and the Bible says that God met and talked to Moses face to face, like when one talks to his friend. And he would come out, and he put a veil on, so the people would come close, because they were afraid of him. They're afraid of God's glory. And Paul said that same veil, the children of Israel, they were the first ones that God gave the word to. And they have the word of God that was their God's gift to them. And yet a veil is over their hearts even till today. He says, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil's taken away. Isn't that something? Before you were a believer... You read the scripture, and somebody might even say, well, I've read the whole Bible, there's nothing in there. Well, that's because you're reading with a veil over your face, and it's not to you. You're reading somebody else's mail. And then you turn to the Lord, God takes the veil away, and you go, whoa, that's some good stuff. God spoke to me today from scripture. Right. See, a miracle takes place. Now, we know that God is the one that gives the hope that some would even turn to the Lord. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves, a gift of God, not of works that any man should boast. Even the faith to believe is a gift from God. But he gives that hope. A person turns to the Lord and God takes the veil away. Now look, if you have it in your scriptures, verse 16. Whenever a person turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is a spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all with an unveiled face. Because if you come to Christ, the veil's been taken away. We all with an unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of God, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord. I want to tell you something. A byproduct of seeing people come to Christ is your own sanctification. I used to think it was just about looking in the Bible. It is. We need information. But it's also taking that gospel that God has given us and sharing it with others. And then we see God work. And what's the result? 
See, some people say, well, someone might ask me a question I don't know, so I need more study. You don't have to be ashamed of that. If somebody comes up with a question that you don't know, then you say, that's a good question. I don't know that. I'm going to go find that, and you go talk to Pastor Howe, and he'll give you information this much. You'll know the answer to that next time, right? When you have to dig and find an answer, next time somebody will come up with that, that question, they think, nobody, what about those that have never heard? Okay, that's fine. We're talking about you, but okay, you want to talk about people that have never heard? The Bible says, Romans 1, 19 and 20 and following, no excuse. Because they can see that there's a creator by looking at creation. Now, back to you. What if you die without Christ? Where will you spend eternity? They might come up with a question, but that's okay. That's going to drive you deeper in the word, and you're going to be better equipped. Every time somebody asks that new question, you get the answer. Now you're better equipped. The other thing is, the Bible says in 1 John 3, everyone that has the hope that they're in Christ purifies themselves. Why? We don't want to be a stumbling block. You see somebody come to Christ, it, it's like when a, we see this happen all the time. Couples out there, they're living in the world, they're doing their thing, and then they get married, and they're still having fun together, and then they have a child. Like, whoa. Man, we got responsibility now. They didn't give us a license for this kid. What are we going to do? I don't know. Maybe we should go to church, right? They come to church because they have a responsibility. When you see somebody come to Christ, you know somebody comes to Christ, all of a sudden you think, whew, I got to clean my life up. I don't want to be a stumbling block, right? Maybe they ask, you say, hey, I see that uh, you do this. Okay for me to do that? No, 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 no. No, listen, I'm tell you, that's bad. That's bad. But you can't tell your children, listen, don't do what I do. Do what I say. That doesn't wash, neither does it in the Christian life. What's the process? You see somebody come to Christ, you're digging, getting more equipped because you want to see that again, but you're also pouring your life into them so you want to be more like Christ so that you can be an encouragement to them. You encourage them. You don't tell them, hey, listen, I don't go to church much, but you know, you're really, you're in a believer, you ought to go to church a lot. Oh, that's going to work, right? So what do you do? You say, come with me, come to my church. I'm not the only one. There's all kinds of people with all kinds of gifted as you need to get to know, and you plant them in a church. And the process is you become more like Christ. That's what it says there. When we, with unveiled face, behold us in the mirror the glory of the Lord, you see God's glory being worked out in people's life. You're changed to be more like Christ. Well, our purpose in seeing God's glory is evangelism and discipleship. So who do we evangelize? Well, I like to challenge people with this. Just find one. You can get so overwhelmed with the loss of the world, you don't do anything. You get paralyzed. Like people that come to prayer and say, well, Lord, we're going to pray for the missionaries around the world. Okay, great. I like to pray for David in Germany. I like to pray for Jeff in Jackson Hole. I like to pray for Sam down in, in, in Utah. I like to pray for the Grace when they're over in Mongolia or Indonesia because our heart was part of them. We prayed specifically. And I go to conferences and, and I'll share you. You're an amazing church. You really are. And I'll share you with them and talk about our small groups and people that are ministering and witnessing and people that come to Christ and say, oh, I wish I could be at a church like this. 
In American Christianity, we're so used to shake and break and programs that we get lost. And I'll tell those young men, well, let me tell you, find one. Just find one. Start praying for them. Is there somebody that's lost that you know? A loved one? Are you praying for them that God would give you opportunity? Then are you sensitive to the opportunity? Are you equipped so you can share something with them? Maybe it's just your own story. It's not about you. That's a powerful story about you coming to Jesus. That's God's story. Share that with them. See what God might do. Invite them to church. You know if you bring them here, they're going to hear the gospel. They're going to hear it. Just invite them. Start someplace. Pray for one. I shared the story about that one time I was at a Southern Baptist conference and I was sharing with a fellow that invited our team to come up and minister to their church. I said, what do you want us to minister? And he's being specific. Oh, no, that's just on you. I said, well, I like to just talk about the simplicity of the gospel so we can get people out there swinging the sword, you know? It's not about being a PhD. Just take what God's given you and share it with somebody. And there was a lady that was going to have a conference over her. So, oh, let me tell you something. You know, I'm never going to share the gospel with someone. And first of all, we're at a Baptist convention. I'm going, huh? Oh, yes, but we have this new method now. Just call the 1-800, give them the 1-800 number, and somebody that's really good can share the gospel with them because I'm never going to do it. And you're teaching this conference? I said, well, I guess you can do that. Or you could get over yourself and share the gospel and watch God do a miracle, and you'll never get over that. You'll never get over it. Who do we evangelize? Who do we disciple? Faithful men. First Timothy chapter 2. Faithful people. A lot of people are willing to have discipleship one-on-one, but they want to come to church. They're not faithful. You invite them to come to church, and then you give them an assignment. And when they show up and they don't have the assignment done, so well, listen, let's get together. You call me when you get the assignment done. Just call me. Because people are eager to be like little birds that don't put anything into their spiritual life, and they're always going to be thinking that the, what they do at church is it's an event, so they show up and get from the event, and they never get a personal relationship, dig down deep, and find out that the Holy Spirit lives with them, and he will teach them if they get into the Word. Faithful. Who's this for? Whose responsibility is it to evangelize and disciple? It's the church. That is who is given the great commission. The church. Who's the church? You are. We're all the church. We all have this treasure in earthen vessels. Now, what happens when a church begins to grow? A church has to get more organized. I, we're, we're dealing with that. That's why Carl's here. That's why Don does what he does. And, and Jason, all these guys on staff, they're helping us be organized. Because if you don't get more organized, people tend to fall through the cracks. And so we have all these different Bible studies, all these different places you can get the word because we want to make it available for everybody. There's Bible studies in the day. There's Bible studies in the evening. We want to be faithful to our calling. Now, you have to come. We want to make it available. But sometimes as a church gets more organized, we can think as individuals, well, we'll have the church do that. So you see somebody come to Christ and you say, well, let's sign them up for the new believers class. And, and that's kind of like leaving your kids in daycare, you know? 
It's better than leaving them at home to fend for themselves. And sometimes it's necessary. You have to put your, I now realize that. They're single moms. Sometimes both parents are working. You got to put them in daycare. But you miss out on some things, don't you? Sometimes you have to make a decision. But you, what do you miss out on? You put those babies in there and they're taking their first steps, speaking their first words to somebody that's not you. And the same thing in the Christian life. You see somebody come to Christ, I'm right there and I'm saying, hey, Hey, want to get in discipleship? Why is that? Because I got this job and I'm a pastor. It's my responsibility. It's my duty. No, because it's fun to watch what God is doing. It is pure joy. And I'm just kind of a small group junkie. That's what my son David says. Dad, you're just a small small group junkie. Why is that? Because I love hearing how God is working. I love hearing testimonies. One time I was meeting with a fellow that came to Christ, Beecher Struby, years ago. He was on the track team at the university. His girlfriend had gotten saved, and for her birthday, she put it on him. Would you come to church? It was Wednesday night. Would you come to church with me as my birthday present? I was like, fine, I'll go to church. So he came to church, and after a month or so, he got saved. And so we were getting to get together for our first discipleship, and he was supposed to have studied 1 John chapter 1, and he had... But he came in, he was kind of out of breath, said, Paul, I'm so sorry, man, I can't stay. I, I got a track meeting I go to, and, and I, I forgot about it, so I got to go. But before I go, I got to tell you some stuff, okay? I said, all right. He said, first of all, I can't believe how much I love church. I grew up in church because my dad maybe go to church. I couldn't stand it. It was boring. I love coming to church. I can't hardly wait to get in the Word. I'm so, oh, that's cool, Beach. Or Beecher, that's, that's neat. Another thing. I thought I would never share with anybody else. I can't hardly wait to share with my friends. I'm telling everybody about Jesus. I can't believe it's all cool. And then one more thing. Uh, I still, I'm a mess, man. How can I be sharing Christ and excited about the word? And today in warm-ups, I was getting warmed up around the crack, and this jerk cut me off, and I let, I let out a bunch of swear words. I let him know what I thought about that. How can I be a Christian? I said, well, let's just roll back a little more. I said, before you got saved and somebody cut you off and you swore at them, what would you feel? He said, well, I feel like they deserved it. I was straightening them out. I was helping them. Right. How do you feel about it now? I feel awful. I said, well, before you got, I want you to let you know. We didn't get time, but you just told me all the marks of the believer that are in 1 John. I think our lesson is done. John said, Mark of the believer is a desire to share what we've experienced with God. Mark of the believer is this new joy and fellowship and desire to hear the word. And a mark of the believer is a new conviction of sin. You say you have no sin, you're a liar, the truth's not in you. But if you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive your sin and to cleanse you from all rights. Okay, go to your track meeting now. I love that because you're just observing what God is doing. You're just feeding the fire. That's all you're doing. But as a church grows, sometimes we think it's somebody else's opportunity. Well, I'm I'm too old. I'm too young. There's an extended family in our church because a teenager invited his friend to church. My son, Andrew, we call him the stealth evangelist. He comes across as stoic and grumpy. That's just, that's just his camouflage. He had good friends in, in high school, Brian, 
and Micah. Together they were called BAM. That was the thing. They even the hats, BAM. They played football together, did everything together. And he kept inviting them to come to church. And Micah came to know Christ. I think that was the order. But Brian, he was a little bitter because both of his grandparents on his dad's side had, had died in the same year. And I don't need God. But he just kept inviting him. Come on. Come to 5 o'clock. Come on. So one day Brian came. He went home that night, gave his life to Christ. Now, this is an amazing thing how God works in people's lives. We would say, well, let's let him grow a little bit, you know, and then later, Lord, you can give him some tests. The next morning, his sister wakes him up. Something's wrong with that. We got to call. We got to call the, the, the ambulance. And Mike, to all of us, he'd seemed super healthy. He had a stroke. Ambulance got there, took him to the ambulance, and they told Brian, your dad's not going to make it. And Brian's testimony was that there was like this instant that he said, yeah, a lot of good it did for me to get saved. I'm going to be angry. And then he said, hold it, hold it, hold it. I know God now. So he began to pray. After a day or so, well, your dad's not going to die, but he'll be like a vegetable. He'll not be able to do anything. He said, no, I won't. I know God. I can pray. 16-year-old young man. Where does that come from? Was that from some, some studies on faith and what you can get? done? No, that was directly from God. Brian's sister came to Christ. Mike wanted to see what was going on with the kids, so he started visiting church, heard the gospel. He came to Christ. Uncle Don came to Christ. There's this whole extended family now that has children and grandchildren that are growing up in the Lord because a teenager said, hey, man, I love you. Would you come to church? And prayed, you, you, have this treasure in earthen vessels. It's the gospel. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel before. It is the power of God and his salvation for everyone that believes. And in my life, my joy has been seeing people come to Christ. Nicole came to me and said, after service, she'd come to Christ. She said, Matt, uh, I don't know what to do. Matt's leaving me and I don't know what to do. And I said, well, we can pray. We can pray. And I don't have time to tell you all the supernatural things that happened. One day, Matt was sitting back there about where Brian's at. Nicole wasn't even here. David got up to play the first song, The Glory of the Cross, and God just reached down and went, bam! And he drove back to himself. I'll never get over that. I'll never get over that. It's not about me being this great apologist. I just want to see what God's doing. And God has given the same ability to you, if you know the simple gospel, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for lost people's sin. He was buried and he rose again. So let me ask you this morning, church, what is it that brings you joy? What is it that that's your thing? Is it your successful business? Is it your kids? Certainly there's a measure of fulfillment in kids and in successful businesses. But what is it that you're really in your life, whenever somebody else looks at you, they, this is what really, really rings their bell. See, that's your glory. That's your glory. And if it isn't seeing people come to Christ and you know Christ, then there needs to be an adjustment. Not because you feel guilty, but I want to tell you as your pastor because you're missing out on the great joy of life. The great joy. What we look forward to one day in that arena of worship 
is some from every tribe, tongue, and nation being there. Praise the Lord. Let me ask you this. Will be, there be somebody there because God saved you? Yesterday, Christy writes everything out. She's a wonderful writer, and she'd written her testament. She shared her testimony with the, the girls here yesterday, and I was talking to David on the phone, and uh, I said, man, your mom's an amazing writer. This is a powerful testimony. He said, well, we need that. So Christy came home. I made her send it to all the boys because your children and your grandchildren need to hear that powerful story how God reached down through time and space. He touched your heart on purpose. He gifted you on purpose for the people that you're going to affect for eternity. So what is it that brings you joy? That's your glory. There's no place too difficult for the gospel. There's no hard too hard. No, no hard too hard. There's no person that's too successful that's beyond the reach of the gospel. But have you seen that joy? Psalm 16 says, Preserve me, O God, I take refuge in you. I said to the Lord, You are my Lord, I have no good besides you. As for the saints who are on the earth, they are the majestic ones in whom is all my delight. You know who that is? That's you. The saints are the majestic ones in whom you have delight. If you're out there on the firing line and you're, you're desiring people to come to Christ because that's the harbor you're bringing people into. That's the sheepfold you're going to bring them back to. The psalmist goes on to say, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. You want to see God's glory? Share the gospel. Watch somebody grow in the Lord and the way he's gifted them. It'll blow your mind. Father, we thank you for your gospel that you've given into our hands. Oh, Lord, that you would place one soul in our heart. We begin to pray for them. We begin to be sensitive for opportunities to just share our story, to be able to share a piece of scripture, to be able to say to them, let me pray for you right now. And then, Lord, we ask, I ask that you would bring a harvest in those individuals' lives, that they might see your glory, your creative power once again. And Lord, as a church, we might experience a great harvest of souls. Though we are, our culture is dark, our leadership has turned their back on you, but the gospel still shines bright, Lord. Do a work, and we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.